You're listening to the Heart and Soul Podcast with Katherine Banco. I'm on a mission to celebrate breakthrough, empowerment, and shameless living in the lives of women everywhere. Join me and let's live unashamed together. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Heart and Soul. Today, I am joined by Scout Sobel. Is it Sobel or Sobel? Sobel. Sobel. Okay, I wanted to make sure I said that right. Um, I'll just give you a quick intro, but then I am like so excited for our listeners to just hear all the seriously amazing things that you're doing, especially right now. Um, but Scout is the CEO of Scout's agency, which specializes in getting women as guests on podcasts. And it also features her clients in digital media publications. She's the co-host of the OK Sis podcast, where she shares stories with her sister of strong, vulnerable creative and passionate women, um, very similar to what we do here. And she's also the host of the Scout podcast, which focuses on mental health and spirituality and entrepreneurship all in one and how they all connect. So on top of all that, she is now the author of a brand new book called The Emotional Entrepreneur, which we're definitely going to talk about today. But thank you so much for joining us today, Scout. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, your name, your email, your podcast has come up so many times running Scouts Agency. We've been able to work together on a few episodes. So being able to come on as a guest is very full circle. I know. I was like kind of starstruck when the agent was like, Scout's going to like, is going to be on your podcast. And I was like, the Scout? <laughs> oh my God. You're so funny. Yeah. When I, when I heard that you said yes to me, I was also very, very flattered. So this is going to be a good conversation. Well, I started reading your book and I loved it. Um, and what I love most about it, and we talk about this on Heart and Soul all the time, it's kind of the theme of our podcast is shameless living. And what I love most about it is the first paragraph of your book is very vulnerable and it goes straight into your struggles with mental health, your history with anxiety, depression, and then it doesn't, it doesn't dance around any subject. And I love that because the whole point of shameless living is to not be ashamed of who you are or where you've been, because that got you to where you are today. And so can you kind of speak into your story a little bit about your mental health struggles and how it led you into entrepreneurship? Cause I know there's a lot of listeners who who do have anxiety, depression, and beyond, and I know you could really connect with them. Yeah, yeah, it's, I love just that sentence as you were saying, and I was thinking, you know, how my mental health journey led into entrepreneurship, which is such the merging of who I am, which is the emotional entrepreneur, but my story started when I was 14. Um, you know, it started way back when I was in kindergarten, technically, when I really first experienced anxiety for the first time, but I really had my first depressive episode at the age of 14. I was a freshman in high school and I started restricting food or purging. I was self-harming myself. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was wearing monochromatic sweatpants and not the cute athleisure wear you see today. It was not cute at all. Um, and it was very apparent to my friends and family that there was something really off about me. And when my school found out about the self-harm, my parents immediately put me in therapy, uh, which is a journey I talk about uh, in the first chapter of my book. Uh, I was the only one of my friends in therapy. However, I, I really grew up in a really tight-knit community. There was, I think, 28 kids in my grade total. And so 
everybody knew, but I don't remember there being this shame around it. But I do remember knowing that in that way, I was different. Like my peers didn't have to go to therapy, but I did. I took a 500 question test um, that basically was used to diagnose the severity of your mental health. And I ranked in between chronic and clinical depression. But you know, when you're 16, your parents are confused if it's hormones, if you're rebelling, if you're acting up or whether you have a mental illness. And I think that the fact that I wasn't treated so significantly or seriously at that age was really a blessing because I think that my identity could have gotten very lost in the mental health world. I think medication potentially would have not been the route for me specifically at that age. So it wasn't until I left for college that I started experiencing extreme paranoia and psychosis. I thought men were following me home. I thought they were under my bed, in my closet, in my car. And that's really when I recognized that my mind had the capability to exit reality, as well as the fact that my mind was dangerous. It was not a fun place to be anymore. And it was creating these worlds that weren't real. And so I remember crying on my balcony of my apartment, um, trying to hide this from my roommates, telling my dad that there was something wrong. I had spent so many nights frozen with fear that a man was going to pop out of the closet. I wouldn't move a finger. I would plan escape routes of how I was going to survive this. And knowing that that happened pretty much every night, I remember crying to my dad and he was then also, okay, well, are you just having trouble dealing with the fact that you're, you're away from your home for your first time and that my parents had just gotten divorced, but it became very clear that there was something bigger happening to me. And so that's when therapy and psychiatry started getting more intensive, more serious diagnoses were trying to be had medications started coming into the picture. Um, but it wasn't until I was 20 that I was formally diagnosed with bipolar disorder and, um, I'm coming up on 30 this year. And so that was, 10 years ago. And when I received that diagnosis, I thought my life was done. Mm. I think, I don't even think Instagram was around then. Like maybe it had just started. And so it was very new. Yeah. This idea of mental health, self-care, self-love, personal development, the self-help aisle in Barnes and Noble was a weird aisle to walk down at that time. And so I thought that I was crazy for, done for, and that my life was over, that, that this was going to ruin me significantly. It was becoming very difficult for me to attend school. It was becoming very difficult for me to function. I would walk to French class and I remember standing in front of the door, but I couldn't walk in. I just couldn't do it. I was so anxious. And so, you know, 10 years ago was when the, I suppose, gravity and seriousness of my mental health became very apparent my parents and my sister really had to start educating themselves on what this meant. Um, you know, my sister will openly admit she thought that I was lazy. She thought that I just couldn't accept happiness. She didn't understand that it was an illness because just 10 short years ago, mental health wasn't viewed as an illness. And so I dropped out of college. Um, right when I heard the diagnosis, I was on a plane home the next day um, and I went through an outpatient program that year, a cognitive behavioral therapy outpatient program. They locked me up um, what they call 5150, which is where I was deemed a legal threat to myself and to society. And they strapped me to a strapper and locked me up. Um, and then it, this sounds so cliche, but then I met my husband or I had known him. We started dating and 
He is 10 years sober today. And he looked at me two months into dating, very clear of his intentions with me, which was to walk down a path to marriage. And he said, listen, I'll be with you if you're depressed. If you're depressed and hopeful, I'll be in this relationship. If you're depressed and hopeless, I won't be here anymore. Hmm. I I wrote that down in your book. I wrote that quote down because it kind of, I mean, it's powerful and it, and it really stuck out to me just in my own personal story with my husband, you know, I, we struggled with, um, some miscarriages this past year and I got into a depressed state for a few months. Naturally grief took over and, and we had similar conversations like that. And that's why I I wrote that quote down was he was like, listen, I know you're going to come back because we have hope but like, I need you to remain hopeful. Like, even if you're pessimistic in this season or sad or angry, that's okay. But if you, if you have hope, then we're good. We're going to be, we're going to get through it. And so I love that. Like it gave me chills and I read it. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, we have talked about this exact same thing. And that's so one, I'm, I'm so sorry for the miscarriages and the experiencing that you're going through. And, and I also know that whatever is about to happen to you in the future is so much far greater than you could have ever expected it to be, especially if you remain, you know, holding on to that hope. And I think that it's in a way, it's not the narrative that we're so taught, right? When something external is happening to us that we can't control miscarriages, mental illness, we're taught potentially to stay in a victimhood mentality of this is happening to me, not for me. And so my husband very clearly said, you know, be you, live that brain of yours, have it dance in all of its demonic ways, but you have to have hope. You have to have hope that one day things will get better, that what, what's coming next for you is great, that you have strength and confidence in yourself. And so I just woke up the next day. You know, at that point I had lost jobs. I was a gelato scooper. I was a waitress. My friends were graduating like top colleges and I was literally scooping gelato And I quit internships. I was interning at C Magazine. I was taking classes at UCLA. Like I just quit everything. I just couldn't do anything. And so when he said that to me, I decided to infuse my day with hope. And what would that do if I did that? And slowly but surely that hope led me to support groups. It led me to reading every self-help book. It led me to expressing gratitude before gratitude was gratitude. It led me to faith. It led me to prayer, which was such a beautiful transformation in my life that has continued to serve me. Um, but with all of that, I, I was still having anxiety attacks and, and major depressive episodes. But with starting with hope, I was able to hold a job as a barista a little bit more stably than my past jobs. And I sat with my friend at a coffee shop and we were looking at a magazine and I said, do you want to start a magazine? It was this divine spark. I didn't, when, when the words came out of my mouth, I said, did I say that? And she said, yes. And we were, you know, what started, we're going to print it um, at Kinko's. We're going to take pictures with disposable cameras. We're going to pass it out for free. The girl who couldn't hold a job, who doctors and therapists said, you might not be able to function in society ever. Something switched in my brain. 
I went home, I researched printers. Pretty soon I had all of these meetings with the top printers in Orange County. I was then like, okay, I need 10 grand. I raised 10 grand with Kickstarter campaign. The second issue, we uh, got a distribution deal and it was sold in newsstands across the country. The third, Barnes and Noble emailed me and asked if they could sell our third. Halsey was on our cover. And <laughs> I had just, you know, I get, it makes me emotional to think that I once thought that I couldn't do anything. And then I found entrepreneurship, which when I, minute I, the minute I got into it, I was like, oh yeah, high highs, low lows. I can, I can deal with that. I, I can do that. That's what I do anyways. And I couldn't show up for somebody else's dream because there was always a way out. There was always a psychiatrist note that could be written to get me out of a job. But when it was mine, nobody, nobody could move the wheel forward but me. Yeah. And for the first time in my life, I had purpose and meaning. And so that was the moment, you know, I've been through, that was age 22 to 24. I've been through a long, long road of uh, healing shifts since then. But the thing that I preach and hold so true is that entrepreneurship is an emotional journey. And because I had experience with my emotions is the reason I'm successful today, um, which is the basis of my entire book. So that is the long-winded story that I will one day learn how to shorten as to how I found entrepreneurship through my mental health. No, I love it. I honestly, I wish it was long, longer. It, like I could listen to you talk all day. It's so inspiring. Well, we left it. We left out six years, but we can get there over the <laughs> over the hour that we're chatting. We got time. Um, no, what I love about what you said about entrepreneurship, being a business owner myself, I. I know that it's kind of like my firstborn child. Like that's how much I love and hold dearly onto what I do. And what I, what I heard from your story is during this span of going to different doctors and being diagnosed with different diagnoses, it was almost like the world was trying to tell you who you were and you couldn't resonate with a specific um, identity. And then you through entrepreneurship were able to create your own ownership of your identity. And that's really, I mean, I feel like a shift in our identity is actually what gives us um, confidence, if that makes sense. Like I struggled with body image issues and still do. And once I found that my identity was not in what the number on the scale said, and I found that I was in like who God created me to be, then everything shifted, right? Like my mindset shifted. And so now that your identity was wrapped into something that you had ownership over, it was like, okay, well, yes, I, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with bipolar, but that's not who I am. Like it's a part of me and it led me here, but it's not who I am fully. Does that make sense? Like yeah. And it's, it's just bringing up, you know, people often ask me, you know, saying I am bipolar, you know, anything after an I am statement is very powerful and can yeah. impact someone either in a positive or negative way. And so for so many years, the statement I am bipolar was this thing for me to show that I was suffering, that I was uh, in a way disabled in society, that I was um, something out of my control was happening to me. It was a way for me to stay within victimhood. Now, when I say I am bipolar, it's this beautiful acceptance and recognition of the way my emotional patterns go up and down. 
it's this understanding that my emotions have at one time and may again take over and try to, you know, self-sabotage or ruin things in my life or create such potency and intensity that I go down a little bit. But through those waves, through the emotional spectrum, I have come out with lessons, wisdom, a a connection to God, an understanding of what my soul is. And so the bipolar and the entrepreneur like sit up here and then underneath that's my soul. And so my worth comes from my soul and then my emotional aspect and my entrepreneurial aspect are what color my human life Mm -hmm. specifically. And that's really how I look at it. Yeah. Something you said in your book was that it's your, it's your superpower. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, when I started Scouts Agency, which was almost two and a half years ago at this point, I would be talking to other women who wanted to start their own business and wanted to do all these things, but they couldn't get over the fear. They couldn't get over the risk. They couldn't get over the uncertainty. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, emotionally deal with what it was like to put yourself out there on Instagram publicly. And I recognized that all of those things were easy for me because I had mastered to a certain level or I become comfortable to a certain level with uncomfortable emotions. And so I realized that my superpower in business does not lie in my strategy, my PL, my revenue. My superpower and why I'm successful is because I emotionally move through those. Yeah. I emotionally am like, fear doesn't matter because that's not my truth. Risk is a part of life. The whole life's risky. Do I want to risk on my dreams or do I want to risk on my, uh, you know, boring security? And so I wrote The Emotional Entrepreneur as those 25 emotional lessons that have made me successful that I think, one, prevent people from even starting and two, prevent people from then moving forward because they get so emotionally stuck. Entrepreneurship is not rational. This is not a rational lifestyle for anybody. To be honest, I think we're all nuts. Like it's, it's this crazy thing of, yeah, sure. I'll have it all on my shoulders. Yeah, sure. If my team make a mistake, I'll be the one that takes the blame. Yeah, sure. I'll deal with financial uh, uncertainty, all this stuff. And so if we're willing to be that crazy, we also have to be willing to really prioritize our emotional well-being. So that all the craziness we go through to make our dreams come true, we have that center within us. Yeah. And I think what really sets businesses or um, like even people I follow on Instagram, like something as simple as that, what really sets people apart is those who are, who use their vulnerability as their superpower. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not trying to cover something up with makeup or a filter and put on this show of what the, what they think the world wants them to be, but instead they just are who they are and they own that. And it makes people feel less alone. And it makes people feel like if that person can do it or is doing it in the thick of this struggle, then I can surely start something now too, you know? Yeah. That kind of expander like mentality of seeing other women in it too. You know, there's so many women that DM me that say, I live with a mental illness. I never thought that I could have my own business. Yeah. And so it's just providing, I suppose, proof for all of us that our biggest hurdles are the emotional ones. And we all have the power to move through them if we really want it bad enough. Mm-hmm. And you're so right. Like 10 years ago, mental health was not covered like it is today. I mean, 
I, I too start my, I developed anxiety my senior year of college, or I think I always kind of had it, but it like really came to the surface. Um, and it's crazy as I was reading your book and as you were sharing, I was like, I can really relate on the, like planning out the worst case scenario kind of situations. Like I remember walking home from like night classes, my senior year and thinking someone's following me and like would start sprinting and no one was there, you know, it was just all in my head. Or like, I would go into, um, like a new, if, if it was the first day of class, I would like plan my escape route in case there was a shooter, which is like to the outside world. It just feels like crazy is the word that they would label that, but it was so real in my head. And especially when I was in the thick of like my deepest insecurities with my eating disorder, I remember one time I was on the treadmill at the gym and I was, it was kind of late at night. No one was there really. And I was in the corner and I just had this, like this vision in my head of someone coming and like attacking me on the treadmill. And I just got up, I just got up and ran out of the gym And like those things, those things to other people might sound, you know, a little extreme, but when you're in the thick of it, it's so real in your head that it's, it's hard to like explain to someone who doesn't deal with that. And then also it's, it's hard for someone who doesn't deal with that to understand if that makes sense. Yes. And, you know, yes, in, in so many ways, I mean, I, I'm with you on the treadmill. I'm with you in the class looking for the exit sign. I'm with you walking alone and thinking someone's behind you. And there's, there's a few things that, that come to mind. And, and one is your mind is so powerful that it convinced you of those things. Mm-hmm. So let's use that as evidence that if your mind is that powerful down that spectrum, how powerful can it get on the other? So true. I mean, if your mindset can shift towards one way, then you have the power within you to overcome and shift the other way. Yeah. And so one, it's a gift that your mind is, is that sensitive? Is that imaginative? Is that um, protecting of you, right? It's protecting you when it does those things. It's trying to keep you safe from physical harm in those, in those instances. Um, but unfortunately that keeping you safe is going to keep you in a pain loop. So I didn't take ownership over my bipolar disorder because my ego didn't want me to go through the pain of healing. It was chill with me being in the pain of bipolar and, you know, depressed, can't get out of bed, anxiety attacks, because that was comfortable, probably the same way that those anxious, the anxiety became comfortable for you. So you have to accept and be willing to walk through a different type of pain to reorganize your brain to essentially give you the beauty and the strength to build your own life, to give you the beauty and the strength to be in fulfillment. And when you said people who don't experience that can't understand I think that's really true. And I also think that everyone listening can, can relate to not feeling safe. Yeah. I think that once I realized that I was safe in my emotions was the, the day everything changed for me. And so yours manifests in that, mine manifests in a very similar way. 
um, to this day, I hear a crack in the thing. There's a squatter in my house for sure. hundred percent, you know, like it's, it's stupid, but I think that we can all, all understand what it feels like to feel unsafe, whether it's in our bodies, whether it's in our relationships, whether it's in our career, whether it's in our social tribe financially, whether it's just not feeling worthy. And so if we can dilute all of our experiences to the core feeling, I think we can all learn so much from one another, even if it manifests in such different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And feeling, I think we can also all relate to feeling misunderstood in some way. Yeah. Whether mental health or like some sort of identity issue or struggle, we've all been misunderstood at some point in our life. And so to channel what you felt like in that situation and use those, use that feeling as empathy towards someone else is huge. You know, finding you might, we have listeners who probably might not relate to anxiety, have never experienced that in their life, but you've been misunderstood and you can be empathetic towards someone now who has dealt with anxiety. And one thing you said in your book, which I loved, and I, and I love this, the word safe, because I feel like once we are, um, secure in our identity, then we do feel safe. And like one of the words that when people talk about my business, I have a gym at my, at my house. And when people say like, I walked into the gym and I felt safe, that's always my favorite compliment. Like you could say anything else like, and I would be like, Oh, cool, cool, cool. But if you feel like it's a safe space for you, then I'm like, Oof. And one thing in your book that you said is like allowing yourself to be safe in your emotions. And, and I think that that's huge. We had a therapist on our podcast, um, a couple months ago who talked about, um, how, how our emotions are very real. And often people are like, oh, you're just being too much, or you need to just suck it up or lock it up. And, and if the second we realize that our emotions are real, then we're able to navigate them. Well, instead of feeling insecure or feeling, um, dumb for feeling a certain way Mm -hmm. we feel safe in our emotions whether they're sad angry happy joyful hopeful whatnot you know yeah feeling safe in your emotions that was I mean I think it's you know we all experience pain and then then there's the other layer of suffering and I think the core belief that I wasn't safe in my emotions was adding fire to, or was flaming the fire, whatever that, that I always, I always come up with these sayings and I never know what they actually are. And then, but everybody gets it because it's a very common saying, um, you know, the, the core belief of I'm not safe in my emotions. So I would feel anxious, let's say, and then I would feel anxiety about the anxiety because I didn't feel safe in that original emotion. And the suffering actually comes from the anxiety about the anxiety, not necessarily just the inherent emotion. And so I was reading Untamed, Glennon Doyle's book, which should be the Bible, in my opinion. And, you <laughs> it know, it's a good book. I read it. Uh, so good. And she said, and it was so, it was just this moment where I think she has a whole epi- uh, episode, a whole chapter on pain. And she said something of, you know, you think you can't, you think you can't survive your emotions, but when have you not? Like, wh- when have you ever experienced an emotion and not survived it? And so I realized, oh my God, my whole life, my whole life, I'm really good at surviving my emotions. Maybe not managing them, maybe not thriving in them, 
all that stuff, but I can survive them. And so if I can survive them, that means I'm safe in them. Mm. So that's huge. Yeah. And so I started writing, I am safe in my emotions everywhere in my journal, on a post-it note in my bathroom, on the mirror. And when I would get anxious, I would just sit and write over and over again. I'm safe in my emotions. I'm safe in my emotions. I'm safe in my emotions. And that allowed me to take away that extra layer of suffering, the anxiety about the anxiety, the depression about the depression, the anger about the anger, the shame about the shame, and just deal with the root, which usually if you validate it, which sometimes, unfortunately, um, people outside of you aren't going to validate those. They don't know how, they don't know the right tools to do that. And that really takes a lot of mindfulness and practice within your relationships. But something that we do have the power over is to validate our own emotions. Sometimes those emotions get stuck in us because someone says, man up, because someone says, just snap out of it. Someone says, can you stop feeling that way? That actually represses and builds. If someone just looks at you and if they can't, if someone can't, if you just look at yourself and say, wow, this is really hard right now. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling anxiety. This is uncomfortable. This is a true experiencing. This is challenging. This is really challenging. And just that, just accepting that, that emotion will not want to take you down. It's like a toddler who's screaming. The tantrum stops, you know, and they just feel loved. The emotion feels loved and accepted and seen and heard just like we all want to. So when my emotions come, I... I, I give them some love. I say, I hear you. I'm here to hold you. I see you. I accept you. You need to do your thing. You got to move through me right now. And I just let it happen. So it's this whole reframing my relationship to my, to my emotions saved me. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't feel super terrible a lot of the times and super overwhelming, but I am willing to go there because I know I am safe in my emotions. Yeah. Validation's huge too. Oh yeah. I heard this on a podcast one time. I can't remember which one, but they were talking about how in their, in their relationship with their partner, they were in couples therapy and realized, and the therapist said something like you aren't validating the way that your partner is feeling. Instead, you're just trying to fix it or Mm -hmm. change. And that really stuck with me. And, um, my husband and I have talked about that with our children, like our future children, like that being a core value of our home is like validating their feelings, whether they're right or wrong. I mean, sometimes they might be completely wrong because they're a child, but for them to have that feeling, you need to recognize and validate the fact that it's real to them, whether or not it's true, it's real to them in that moment. And then they feel safe and trusted or they trust you to, or they trust They trust trust their emotions. They trust their emotions and they trust the environment that like they trust the environment that you provided so that if they're feeling something in the future, again, they'll come back to you. It won't feel unsafe. Yeah. Dr. Nicola Pera writes about this in her book and I'm probably not going to quote it exactly, but when a parent, when a child comes to a parent with an emotional experience and the parent doesn't validate that experience, whether they're right or wrong, whether they're being a brat or not, Mm-hmm. the child doesn't feel as if it's safe to a feel emotions and it's also not safe to share their emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's huge. And even in like 
my relationship with my husband, men and women just think so differently. (laughs) And I'm a very, I'm a woman. So I'm very much more emotional than he is. He's logically driven. And that was something that we kind of butt heads about in the beginning was like something that I really deal with and I have to fight and overcome is shame, like on the daily. And so if I'm feeling shame about something, his, his response is you're great. Like this isn't true. Like, and yeah, but in this, in this moment, I'm feeling like it is true. And I need you to recognize that. Like, okay. Real uh, uh, what you're saying is the challenge that every straight couple has. Like, yeah, <laughs> so true. <laughs> Like when you gave that example, I was like, let me guess which one's the guy and which one's the girl. I mean, it is is truly this stereotypical dynamic that happens between husbands and wives. And And it's so cool because I think our generation is questioning that and starting to learn better coping mechanisms so that the the man can meet the woman in her feminine and the woman can meet the man in his masculine and really cater to the differences between us. So that's a long way and fancy way of me saying, I feel you. you? (laughs) I'm with you girl. Um, Well, I, I just love everything that you just shared and, and seriously can't wait to finish your book, but would you mind sharing? Obviously my listeners listen to podcasts. So Mm -hmm. um, you have two. would you mind sharing a little bit more about what you talk about on your podcasts? Yes. So on scout podcast, it's a solo podcast. So I, uh, I drop episodes Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're just solo ramblings. They're, you know, anywhere from 10 to 25 minutes, me touching on um, a topic that is between mental health, entrepreneurship, and a little bit of spirituality. So it's really a place that I go to talk about my healing, to talk about what I'm going through, to offer um, some of the tools that I've garnered up with living with bipolar disorder and then running my own agency managing a team, fear, anxiety, depression, faith, all that good stuff. Um, So that's a really um, vulnerable and intimate special place on the internet. And then OK Sis podcast has a little bit of a different vibe. I co-host OK Sis with my sister Mads. And that's where you go for sisterly silliness, but also some real conversations about imposter syndrome, mental health, uh, pop culture, even skincare, entrepreneurship. We interview our girl crushes, really amazing women who have really incredible businesses or books or therapy practices, et cetera. So OKSIS is definitely uh, where you go for the sisterly vibes and the, the female empowerment. And then Scouts, where you go for more of an introspective, relaxing, um, insightful mental health content. Yeah, definitely subscribe to those. I'm, I'm subscribed to OKSIS and it's so fun. It's <laughs> It's a good time. I mean, it's, yeah. I love when a, I, and I try to do that on, on heart and soul. I love when a podcast can shift from like serious topics to like what it was Justin Bieber wearing the other day, you know, like, something, <laughs> like, or the bachelor or something like that. So yeah. I love kind of mix it up with serious and silly over there and, and that it's with your actual sister. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's been, it's been a good time. This, I mean, OKCASES podcast started my career today or where I am today since I started it and then started the agency six months into OKCIS. So OKCIS definitely changed my life. And with the agency, um, tell our listeners a little bit about that. You pair women with, with different, uh, to be guests on different podcasts. Yes. So we are a female focused PR agency, but we really specialize in getting women as guests on podcasts. So similar to 
Um, if you were to book and went to on a book tour, it's the same thing, but we put you on a bunch of podcasts as a guest. But we also, if you have a podcast, we book really high profile guests on your podcast. And then we also do traditional PR as well. Awesome. I went to school for PR, so I love oh, it. Cool. Yeah. 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 It's fun. And the podcast space is such a new, new uh, facet of PR, which is really exciting. So um, we've found that it's just been, you know, as you know, it's long form, it's vulnerable, it's intimate. It's, it's the best medium in my opinion, to tell your story. So we do monthly retainers, but we also have a course, get yourself as a guest on podcast too. So you can learn how to do it yourself. There's, um, this is going to date me. I'm 32. Um, uh, but did you ever have a Zanga when you were in high school? Do you ever know what that is? Mm, I should. Cause I'm like 30 about it's basically, <laughs> It's what so, is it? It's so embarrassing. It's basically like an online, it, you get your own website, essentially. It was kind of like social media before social media. And you wrote out like journal diary entries and oh. read them. And it was public for everyone to see. Oh, and That's kind of how I feel like podcasts are now. Like it's just a very, but it's way more controlled because we're, I mean, this is so embarrassing. But when I was living in Dallas, one of my like adult friends found my high school Zanga online. Like it was still like in the ether somewhere. And he started like reading it out loud to me. And I was like, wait a minute, that's me. And it was so cheesy. It was like, I have a crush on this boy. You know who you are. Like, but now we can podcast as adults with more sane minds and our stories are a little. I know. I really, truly, you know, fear for the generation that, I mean, having Instagram stories when I was drunk in high school would have been terrible. Like, I don't think, I think about, I think about running for president, right? Which I would never do. Like, what is on my MySpace? I don't even know what my MySpace URL is, but there is something on that MySpace that's going to not get me elected as president of the United States. Oh, I think that that's going to keep coming up with like every president, like from here on out is yeah is on the internet because <laughs> yeah. everything's documented. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I love about podcasting is you just have this safe space mm-hmm. to share your story and it's long form content. You can go as, you know, deeper as long as you want. And it's always out there. People can yeah. always circle back to it. Like there's episodes w- and from our very first season that people circle back to and listen to and still comment on. And that like brings me so much joy. It's like, you can like always have this for source for you. So I love that you're doing that and that you're connecting women to podcasts for sure. Um, Okay. So I have four questions that I ask every single guest at the end of each episode. And I didn't prep you for these. So it's going to be rapid. Well, actually you don't have to be rapid with your answers, but it's going to be random to you. Okay. Um, the first question is, what is something that you're currently obsessed with? It could be a show, a book, a podcast, a food, whatever. I'm currently obsessed with the show Younger. Oh my gosh, I've seen all seven seasons, or I'm on the seventh season. I think I'm on season four, maybe. I just started it a few weeks ago. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And they're, the episodes are so quick, too, like... You can watch it really fast and kind of have it on in the background. I just am obsessed with Hillary Duff, always have been. So always, always. Hill Duff is like our girl, you know? She, Same age, our girl. She is our girl. She's Lizzie McGuire, but now she's like running a publication. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. I, I I only started it because of her, but the whole show is incredible. 
It is really cute. Um, keep watching because it's still good in season seven. Trust me. Um, okay. Second question is what is something that you're looking forward to in 2021 in your own life? Um, well, the, I suppose my book launch, which is when this comes out, it'll be the week of it happening, which is really exciting, yeah. but I'm also really excited uh, for my 30th birthday. I'm going to Tulum with my husband, my sister and her boyfriend. Oh my gosh. So fun. I love Tulum. I went once with my family for Thanksgiving. It was so fun. Oh, it's the best. It's so beautiful over there. Just give me a beach and a strawberry daiquiri and I'm good. Yeah. Um, Okay. Next question is what is something that you love about yourself? Something that I love about myself. Um, probably the thing that comes most to mind is that I really celebrate myself. So I'm always proud and I'm always looking for beautiful things in very, very mundane moments. And in that way, I think the narrative that I tell myself every day is one of celebration and beauty and pride. I love that. Celebrate yourself. I've talked about this before on the podcast, so it might be a repeat for some of our listeners, but me and my friend have this thing that we say where it's like toot your own horn. Yeah. (laughs) So if we're like, we did something that we're proud of that day, then we'll say toot toot and like tell the other person what it is. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. I have my best friend and I do it, but we call it uh, small wins. So I mean like a big win, you know what a big win is, but a small win, like, oh, this person might sign with me. They're interested. Like that's a small win. That's really exciting. And so it's really, if we're doing all of this, we might as well celebrate. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Last question is if you could leave women, which is 99% of our listeners with one little piece of um, truth today, one little nugget of wisdom to end on, what would that be? I would say that you get to trust yourself. Um, There's so many things that we were grown into with societal expectations, the patriarchy, whatever it is that disconnects us from our intuition. I think one of the superpowers of women is we know our truth. We know it in our gut. And so often we're afraid to chase that truth because it could be messy or painful or uproot our lives or people might not think a certain way about us anymore. But when you have an intuitive pull, when you know in your gut something isn't right or something is right for you, um, I really encourage women to follow that because it's in those decisions where your freedom, your passion, your purpose lies. And those intuitive pulls, whether it's to leave something or to enter something, um, aren't the easy route But once you really make that move and that commitment towards the thing that is your truth and nobody else's, uh, that's how you really live. Yeah. And I like that you said you get to trust yourself, like a gift that you've been given. So receive it, you know? Yeah, totally. hundred percent. Okay. Um, let our listeners know where, what's the best way to find you and also where they can buy your book. And we'll obviously link everything in the show notes too. Oh my gosh. So excited. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Scout Sobel. That's the best place. Everything's there. All of my podcasts and my business are in the link in my bio. You can buy the book in the link in my bio, or you can just go to Amazon, type in The Emotional Entrepreneur by Scout Sobel, and you can get it there. And it's really good, y'all. You definitely need to order it. It is awesome. Whether you're an entrepreneur or not, it really helps you connect with your emotions and it really helps you feel like we've talked about validated and what you felt or what you've dealt with and how you can use that as your superpower. So Scout, thank you so much for being on 
heart and soul. You're awesome. And I'm so excited for our listeners to buy your book. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And listeners, we will talk to you next week. Bye.